Blog Talk Radio. Songbook out. Let's turn to number nine. Number nine in the songbook, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King, through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling sword of God is near us, by the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to Eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the spirit sword, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of Standing on the promises I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing. That's what we're going to do, too. Amen. We're going to stand on God's promises, come what may. Amen. prayer request this morning. I know we've got some already. I talked to Grant this morning. I'm going to let y'all, I'm going to start and let y'all talk about it. Well, we went and we got, he had the biopsy done and all of that, and we found out now we have one in the ball and one in between. Uh, they're too big to do that procedure up. That's because of the inch. One and two and a half and the other inch. So uh, they talked about putting a tent in between the liver, uh, where that vein runs, where mm-hmm. the vein will stay open. Uh, they talked about that. You're supposed to go back and mediate and find out. Well, we serve a mighty big God, and He's mighty able, and we're going we're going we're going to soak it in prayer, aren't we, Church? Amen. Amen. We're going to be faithful to pray every day, as often as you think about it. God's able. God's able to do all things, and, and we're just going to pray that God does. And we're gonna trust. That's all we can do. That's all we can do is lean on the Lord. We, you know, when human when human efforts run out, that's there is no other alternative. God is the alternative, and He's able. Amen. Are there other prayer requests this morning? Yes. Uh, 
Send him out a bulletin. I guess it just done him some good to know his church down in Texas praying for him. I can email it to you. You can email it to me. Uh, I don't have his email address, but he gave me his physical address. Oh, okay. So I will figure one out one way or the other. I can do either one. I can probably get it. We'll work it out. Anybody else? Any other prayer requests? Yes, Scott. Trust and obey, for there's no other 
Holy Spirit. 
You know, I never knew there was such a thing as, as Holy Spirit power until I was 27 years of age. Been saved since I was seven. Took me 20 years to figure out the Holy Spirit of God empowered me to serve God. That's what happens when you don't pay attention in church. And that's what happens when you have Sunday school teachers that don't even understand it themselves. Amen. When a church realizes we can, we can do all kind of things through God's power, that's when a church will get in on fire and start doing some things. Amen. 365. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust the cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me. Keep the healing, cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, it is sweet to trust in Jesus. Just from sin and self to see, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace. To trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen.
Lord, help us to understand the importance of proclaiming the message of the risen Lord. Help us, Lord, to realize it's our job, it's our duty, it's our responsibility, it's our burden, it's our cross. Help us, Lord, to see it for ourselves. Holy Ghost of God, only you can open the eyes of understanding of our heart. Help us to see our burden of responsibility and, and to take responsibility and accountability for it. Father God, help us now this morning. We love you and we praise you. We give you all the glory. I ask you, give me unction and power to preach this morning. Give them unction and power to receive it. Lord, we pray for each one that will listen in by way of the Internet. Father, we pray for them. If somebody's lost and undone in their sin, oh, Lord, don't let them die in their sins and go to hell. Lord, let this be the day they come to Christ and receive eternal life from him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If you see here in John chapter 20 and verse 21, you'll see there in that passage where Jesus said to them, As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. That's a part of what we call as believers the Great Commission. Let me all raise your hands and say, I've heard of the Great Commission. Okay, that's nearly everybody in this room. Okay, well that's good. That's, we've established one thing. Ain't nobody here ignorant of our duty, amen? We're all aware of our duty. That's good. Uh, and he gave that to all of his followers. Some would say, well, he just gave it to his disciples there. Oh, no, his disciples could not reach the entire world. That was an impossible, uh, a seriously impossible task to put on their shoulders. It was not just for them. It is absolutely for every one of us. This great commission, we have it. We have slightly different variations of it. In Matthew, we have, we have it in, in Mark. We have it in Luke. We have it even in Acts, and we have it here in our text this morning. We have all different versions of it. We have, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Lord, I'm with you all the way, even to the end of the world. We have, we have, we, I ain't going to me going through them. Y'all know what they say. Y'all heard them. You've been preached a thousand times, probably. But the problem, the point is, is that we have a mission. That he sent us on a mission to take that message of the gospel into all the world. To proclaim the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection to everybody who will hear it. That's our mission. Now, I realize that everybody can't go into all the world. Everybody can't go to foreign lands and can't immerse themselves into other cultures to get other people saved, but you need to understand that every single believer has a part in the overall cause of spreading the gospel. None of us are exempt. I hope you can hear me this morning. I hope you will hear me this morning. You don't have an option to opt out of this assignment. You don't have an opt out. Nobody has an opt out unless they're at, well, I say, I would say unless they're physically incapable of communicating the gospel. But yet I saw a man who was deaf and dumb sit in a wheelchair and all he could do was point. And he had somebody prepared him a card with questions that he would have the center hold and he would point and the center would read the question and then he would, and then he would point to the person and have them answer. You don't have to be able to talk to present the gospel. You don't have to be able to hear to present the gospel. All you have to do is be able to point. Amen? I'll share this. I would share it at the end, but I'll share it at the beginning. I may have shared it before. How many of y'all remember me telling the story of Dummy? You remember the story of Dummy? Nobody remembers that. Good, I'll tell it again. Miss Charlotte remembers very well. She probably heard it 10, 12 times. I know Mama heard it. But I heard this years ago, a story I heard by an evangelist years ago, and down, down somewhere in the south there was a revival meeting, and revival was held in the Big Ten outdoors, and there was a man in town who was a deaf mute, and uh, everybody called him dummy because he couldn't speak or he couldn't, he couldn't hear, and he was just kind of childlike. Nobody paid much attention to him, but he showed up in that meeting. He showed up in that meeting, and, and uh, people kind of chuckled, what's he going to do? He can't hear the preacher no way. He can't tell what he's saying. He don't know what he's doing. But then the invitation came, the last night of the revival, and Dummy walked down to the altar. People were shocked. What's he doing down there? What's he going to do? And he got down on his knees, and he began to weep. 
And he cried out to God from his heart. He knew he was lost. The next day, as the evangelist was leaving town, packed up his tent and was heading out of town. When he got to the city limit sign, there stood Dummy. He'd made him a wooden cross out of two pine sticks and was holding it in the air, and he was pointing to that. He was pointing to his heart, and he was pointing to heaven. Anybody can witness. Anybody. Even Dummy. Amen? Amen. But listen, we can't get out of this because we, have, we are in it because we are in Christ. If you follow Jesus, you're on his team, whether you want it to be or not. You may never go to a seminary. Praise God, I hope you don't. I hope nobody in here does. It'll ruin people, amen, a lot of times. But, but you may never leave the States. You may, never, you may never get out of the United States and witness to anybody. But listen, but you should figure out what role you play, what role the Savior wants you to play in his worldwide mission because he's got a worldwide mission going on. John 20, our text this morning, 19 through 23, tells us about the Lord's appearance to the apostles and probably some other disciples, because Luke 24 tells us that some others were there, as they met behind locked doors for fear of the Jews on the evening of the first day of his resurrection. Thomas was somewhere agonizing over his doubt about the resurrection, and he wasn't there. But he appeared to them. And his mission, again, is summed up in John 20, 21, where he said, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. You. Just little old you. God's sending you. If you can think about those words, even so send I... It's a, Jesus said, As the Father hath sent me, I'm sending you. If you can listen to those words, you can hear those words in your head and not feel inadequate, something's wrong with you. I feel inadequate when I think God wants me to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How's everybody going to hear it? I can't preach everybody. I feel very inadequate. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to get anybody else to hear it. I, it's not, I can't convince anybody. It seems like it's a mission impossible. Y'all remember that old TV show? Right? Well, it kind of seems this way. God's sending us on a mission impossible that almost seems like. How can I possibly go out into the world the way Jesus was sent by the Father into the world? Because Jesus was God in human flesh, and I'm not. Jesus never sinned. But guess what we do? We sin. We fall down. Jesus walked in the unbroken, intimate fellowship with the Heavenly Father. We don't. We fall down. We break fellowship. We have to have fellowship restored. We have to go get forgiveness so we can talk to God again. Jesus never made one single mistake. And I make them all the time. I don't know about you, but I do it all the time. I fall down all the time. And I feel terrible every time I do, but I keep getting back up because i got a mission. And I think to myself, how can he use somebody like me? I can't get out of my own way. But in our text... The Lord turns mission impossible into mission possible. Because we have served a risen Savior, and because he's called us to do this, and because he's equipped us to do this, we can therefore confidently proclaim the gospel to all people. Now listen to me. I'm going to give you five things this morning. Five, not four or five. I'm going to give you five ways that he equips us so that Mission Impossible becomes Mission Possible. Number one, let me say to you this morning that the risen Savior has given us great peace. Look there in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And then in verse 21, he said it again. Peace be unto you. Peace be with you. Either way, peace be unto you, peace be with you. It's a common Jewish greeting uh, that they, you know, wishing them overall well-being, uh, you know, to the other person. That's, that's what that means. But in the context here, it means more than Jesus just showed up was, hi, guys. It wasn't that. No, it was more than that. You've got to realize the, the, the environment in the room. Jesus had just been crucified. 
They were hiding in fear. I mean, if they crucified Jesus, who, I mean, wasn't crazy to think they might have been next. Think about it. So, I mean, they may have been sitting around discussing how they were going to sneak out of town and get away. Realize that. These men are afraid for their lives. So, when Jesus came in the door with no knock whatsoever, he just, there he was. Amen. I imagine it spooked them a little bit. Don't you imagine? I mean, when they saw him walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost. Nobody knocked, and here he is. <laughs> my wife was talking about yesterday. My brother came in the house, and he was standing right behind her. She was in the laundry room, and we got a little refrigerator out there. She got some cold drinks in it, and he was sitting there and gave him a cold cola out of it, and she didn't know he was behind her. And she turned around, and all of a sudden, they were nose to nose, and both of them hollered at each, <laughs> at each other's faces. You know, it spooked her. Spooked them too. You know what? I guarantee when Jesus showed up, it spooked them. And he said, hey, peace be on you. Calm down. It's okay. That's what he was saying. Calm down. Peace be unto you. Luke, in Luke 24, 37, it says that they were frightened and they thought they were seeing a ghost. So, yeah, it scared them. I mean, it... it, it in, 20, in, in chapter 20, verse 20, after he showed them his hands and his side, they, they calmed down. The Bible said the disciples then rejoiced. Oh, then they got happy when they saw the Lord. But first they thought he was a ghost and he scared them. you got to keep in mind that these are men who all had fled in fear of their lives when Jesus was arrested. They took off. Peter denied him three times. I don't know him. He cussed about it. They all denied this, the initial reports of his resurrection. These men were not solid men of faith at that moment. They were scared. Their whole world had been turned upside down. You know, I don't think it would have been unreasonable if Jesus had come in and said, you bunch of unbelieving knuckleheads, why are you so scared? I mean, look what all they've been through with you. But no, that's not how he did it. He, he extended mercy right off the bat. He graciously offered them peace. He didn't scold them. Peace with God's fundamental for you to have any kind of a mission with him. You realize that? You can't do a thing with God until you have peace with God. You can't begin to serve him unless you're first reconciled to him through the peace that Christ accomplished on the cross. You think that would be a given, but yet I can tell you story after story of, of young men who were saved in Bible college. I can tell you a story of, of one Wednesday night in Bible college when the college president got saved. The college president, Dr. William Tuttle, got saved while I was going attending Bible college, and he was just fussing to me about putting my offering in on Wednesday a couple of days before. And he got to try to get saved on Wednesday night. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't be. <laughs> but I do. But, uh, but you've got to have you got to be saved first. You've got to have peace with God before you can do anything. Amen? Because your sins alienate you from God. Romans 8, 7, and 8. Because the carnal mind, that's the flesh, is enmity or hatred against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Our flesh can't please God. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's what it says. But see, when you trust Christ, you enter into a new relationship of peace with him. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then and only then does God appoint us as ambassadors of his mission of reconciliation. And a, a message of reconciliation to a world that's hostile to him and hates him. God commits that to you and me. 2 Corinthians 5.18, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God gave us his ministry to reconcile lost sinners to God. That's our job. I mean, not only does he give us peace with God through his blood, but he also gives us the peace of God 
abiding with us, his abiding presence that is with us as we go about to seek to accomplish his gospel mission. As Jesus concluded the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 20, he gave this assurance. He said, and lo, or look here, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So as we're proclaiming the gospel to a, to a hostile, lost, and dying world, he's with us. Amen. He's not only, not only we made peace, but he's giving us peace as we go about proclaiming him to a lost and dying world. And, and the Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which passeth all understanding. That's what's going to keep our hearts and minds. The peace of God that we have in him because we are saved, because we're washed in the blood of Jesus, because our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, because our, our eternity is settled. Notice that he does say that. Lo, I am with you always. Always. You won't ever find yourself in a position where he's not with you. And because of that, guess what? You can always have peace no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing. So I said, this mission, it's impossible mission, is possible because God has given us a great peace. Amen. You never find yourself at a time when you don't have God his peace with you if you seek it. Amen. Sometimes we lay it down when we sin. Sometimes we forfeit that peace. But I'm going to tell you something. We can always go back and get forgiveness and pick it back up again. Number two, not only have we been given a great peace, but number two, the risen Savior has given us great proof. And I'm not going to labor this point because we were there last week, but I'm just going to touch on it. Verse 20 said, And when he had so said, he showed them unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. On that first resurrection Sunday, he showed his disciples his hands and his side to convince them of the truth that he had risen bodily. In Luke, it tells us that he invited them to touch him. And then he asked for a piece of broiled fish, which he ate as they watched him. He wanted them to see, look, this is not a dream. This is real. Give me something to eat. Watch, I'll eat it. You'll see, I'm, I'm, I'm still alive. I'm here. You know what? He's real. He's alive. It's real. Amen? They saw him. Amen? You know what? That historical fact ought to be at the center of our witness for Christ, that he's alive, amen, that he's really alive. You know, and I found this to be true as I've gone around in, in, over the course of my life in ministry trying to witness to people at their doorsteps and things. I, I run across a lot of people, you know, and I, I ask them, I said, you know, for sure you're saved. Oh, yeah, Lord, save me from this. He saved me from that. He saved me from this. Listen, all these troubles they've been through that the Lord saved them from. I'm like, now, I'm not talking about troubles. I'm talking about your soul. Oftentimes you come down to the fact that they don't even know if their soul is saved. See, salvation, salvation is, you know, the Lord Jesus can help people with their personal problems. There's no denying that. He can help people through their struggles. But that's not the message of the gospel. Amen? That's not the message of the gospel at all. Uh, listen, the Bible tells us, the gospel said that, that Christ died for our sins and was raised again according to the Scriptures. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It's not about, oh, well, you know, I, I went through this and the Lord brought me out of it. Well, that's great, but that's not salvation. In other words, don't believe in Jesus in the hope that he'll solve all your problems. You believe in Jesus because you're a sinner. And he's the only Savior. And he's risen from the dead, and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Amen? It says that in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10. See, you and I can proclaim the gospel with confidence because we have, we have great proof in the resurrection. And, you know, just like the song says, you ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. That's how I know he's there. Every, amen. Every day when I wake up, he's there. Amen. All day long, he's there. Every night when I go to sleep, he's there. Amen. He watches me when I sleep. He takes 
great peace. Number two, he gives us great proof. But number three, the risen Savior has given us a great purpose. Verse 21, as I said earlier, this is the central theme of the message this morning. He's given us, me, you, all of us, a great purpose. So many people look at this world trying to find their purpose in life. And they spend, sometimes people spend their whole life trying to discover their purpose and they miss it. There's a verse in the Bible, I can't remember what it is, it's something about, but that his heart may discover itself. I, that's what somebody, some people are doing, God's talking about. People trying to discover their own heart. You don't need to discover your own heart. Somebody say, well, I'm not searching to find myself. You need to put word about finding yourself. You need the Lord. Because you'll make a mess. If you find yourself, you'll be in worse trouble. If you're looking to yourself for advice, you're looking to yourself for help. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Greatest day of my life was when that, that rung true in my heart and mind, when I realized my purpose in life. When I realized, I'm gonna, and I know everybody's not called to be a pastor, not everybody's called to be a preacher, but I can't tell you, put into words, what joy overcame me the day when I realized that I was called to preach. Amen. I knew I knew I had the best product in the world. Amen. I knew I knew that my that my work would be good. My work would be a noble work. I knew that I, I was just relieved, even though it's such a monumental task. I was so relieved because I realized that it wasn't up to me. It was up to him, and it was up to him to give me power. It was just up to me to be willing to do it. Once I had discovered my purpose, my purpose is to glorify my Savior. My purpose is to magnify him. My purpose is to proclaim salvation to those who need it. Amen. But, again, let's get back to it. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Do you remember when we were in John, we were in John 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer? His high priestly prayer is applied to the disciples. He said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. It's echoed here again. John's Gospel frequently emphasizes the theme of Jesus being sent by the Father. He was sent by the Father. Again, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Well, what was he? He was sent by the Father. Let's look. In John 4, 34, it talks about he was sent to do the Father's will. Jesus said unto them, My meat, or what satisfies me, is to do the will of him that sent me to finish his work. Jesus said, That's what pleases me, is to know that I'm doing God's work, and, I, and I'm finishing what he's called me to do. Listen, there ain't nothing greater as a believer that you can do than to do God's work. And to know that you're accomplishing his will, that'll give you a sense of satisfaction like nothing in this world will ever give you. Jesus was said in John 3.34 that he was sent to speak the Father's words. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. God pours his Spirit out beyond measure and gives him the words to say. And guess what? God has given you the words to say. And God will give you the Spirit of God above measure if you'll apply yourself to doing his will. Jesus was sent to, to perform the Father's works. In John 5, 36, it says, But I have, a greater, I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish. The same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. He was sent to bring salvation to the world. Of course, we know that, but John 3, 17, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. In John 18, 37, Jesus told Pilate, to this end was I born, and with this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Luke 19, 10, Jesus said, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to establish the Father's kingdom by bringing people under the, his lordship and sending them out to do his will. That, that, that's our job. Our job is to bring lost souls into the kingdom of God. That's our duty. And by sending us out in the same way that he was sent, his purpose becomes our purpose. He turned it over to us. He handed the mantle off. Y'all seen somebody run a relay race, right? And somebody holds up the phone and they run around that truck fast they can and get them and something runs right behind them and grabs it from them and passes them. That's what Jesus did. He handed the ministry of the he handed the ministry of reconciliation off to us when he when he made his lap. Amen. And he said, Here, you take it and run with it and make your lap and you hand that off to somebody else and they'll run their lap. And we've been running laps ever since he went to glory. Amen. That's how you're saved this morning. Somebody ran a lap for you. Do you realize that? You wouldn't be here this morning if somebody hadn't cared, if somebody hadn't tried, if somebody hadn't shared the gospel with you. You wouldn't be here this morning. You'd be dead in your sin if somebody hadn't run that lap for you. God wants you to take that baton this morning if you hadn't got it in your hand, and he wants you to run with it. We should live in obedience to Christ. And we should teach other people to do the very same thing that God has taught us, that we are to carry on his purpose. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I, I quoted it earlier, but I'll tell you again. He says, he's talking to us. You can put a, a, an implied you. You, go ye therefore. And preach, I'm sorry, and teach all nations. What? Teach them that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again. And then when they get saved, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Then what? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. In other words, you make another one just like yourself. And lo, I'm with you always. You won't do it by yourself. I'll be there giving you the strength, the power to accomplish it. And, but you know what the thing of it is? So often, individual believers, we lose sight of our purpose. We get caught up in this world. We get caught up in living, busy, and we forget. Even churches, whole churches get distracted. We get caught up in our thing, and we forget that there are lost sinners out there. I mean, there are churches that make sinners feel unwelcome when they come. I remember in Bible college, I remember very clearly one Sunday morning, when a church bus from First Baptist Church of Longview, Texas, pulled up in our parking lot, dropped off a, a wide oak. They told him, said, they'll take, them, they'll take your kind over at Longview Baptist Temple. That's what they told him. Dropped him off there with us. That sounds pitiful, doesn't it? Man came to church. He was trying to hear the gospel. He came because he, he, I mean, why would a wino get up from his trunk and listen, wander off into a church? He was looking for something. And they said, no, we don't want you here. Go down yonder. What makes people do that? You know why they do that? They feel like, it, oh, that, that guy will contaminate our church. God help us if we ever get feeling like that. You realize we were all lost and dead in our sins at one time or other. There's some church members, they cut off all contact with lost people because they're scared they might get them dirty or something. You can't do that either. You know, Jesus is known as a friend of sinners. And he said in Luke 5, 32, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So shouldn't we get to know some sinners? Shouldn't we befriend some sinners? Shouldn't we tell them about Jesus before they die in their sins and go to hell? If Jesus' purpose was to seek and to save the lost, shouldn't that be our purpose? To tell people the good news about eternal life is the greatest purpose that anybody can ever have because that was the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the risen Savior has given us a great peace. 
He's, grave, he's given us a great proof of his resurrection, and he's given us a great purpose, which was his purpose. Number four, the risen Savior has given us great power. In verse 22, the Bible said, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I said he's given us a great power to attempt to serve the Lord in any capacity, but especially in proclaiming the gospel to the lost without relying on the power of the Holy Ghost is absolutely futile. You cannot do it. You can talk to your blue in the face, but if you're not leaning heavily on the power of the Holy Ghost, you're wasting your time. He is the one that does the convicting. It's not us. Zechariah 4, 6 reminds us, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Just before he ascended, Jesus directly linked the power of the coming spirit to the disciples' future witness. He told them in Acts 1.8, he said, But ye shall receive what? Power. They didn't have power, remember? They just a bunch of scared folks sitting there not knowing what to do. But Jesus said, Hey, listen, you're going to get power. You're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part, of the earth. Now let me just differentiate two things here just for a second. Because I realize in verse 22, he told them to receive the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts 1-8, he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Understand those are two different things. When he spoke to them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost, that was the very first time in the history of the world that the Holy Spirit of God had come into a believer's body to live. The Holy Spirit of God moved in, and, and their spirit came to life. He brought to life the spirit, of, the spirit of a man inside of them. The Spirit of God dwells there. That had not ever occurred before. When, when David went down to that valley to defeat Goliath, the Holy Spirit of God came upon him in power, but did not indwell him. But now, from that moment forward, everybody that's saved has the indwelling of the Holy Ghost of God. Now, understand something. You have the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God, whatever you want to call it, inside of you and still live a defeated life. There's a reason why the Holy Ghost came upon them. Number one, they were willing to do whatever he asked them to do. Number two, they obeyed him and went and prayed and were seeking God's power on them. You've got to be obedient. You've got to be willing to do whatever he wants you to do. And when you're, when you're willing to do whatever he asks you to do, then God will give you the power to do it. Let me hurry up and get done with this this morning. <clears throat> the Bible never commands us to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's no verse in the Bible about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? It's because it's a one-time action that takes place the moment you get saved. You won't get any more of the Holy Spirit than you do at the moment you get saved. Realize that. He, you get all of God at one time, okay? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. We're placed into the body of Christ, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Okay. I said, you never get any more of the Holy Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost of God then you get at salvation. But what does happen when the Holy Ghost come upon you? He gets all of you. You already got all of him. He's living in you. But when you yield yourself and say, God, I need your power on me. I'll do your will. I want to please you. Then you have offered him your hands, your arms, your head, your mind, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your feet, everything about you. You said, Lord, it's all yours. I'm putting it in your hands. And God says, okay, I can feel every bit of that and empower you. It's kind of a, that's a, that's a crude comparison, but it's kind of like a car with an empty gas tank and a, gas, a can of gas sitting in the trunk. The gas, the power's there, it's just not applied correctly. Amen? 
But what God does command us to do, God, what God commands us, he commands us to continually be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. We know that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He commands us to do that. Galatians 5.16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit or live your life communing with the Spirit of God, being willing to do whatever God wants you to do. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You say, how do I get victory in this life? You walk in the Spirit of God. You walk in constant communication with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to take your eyes off of you, continually asking Him for help along the way. But since the Spirit of God is the one that opens the blind eyes, since the Spirit of God is the one who opens the, the deaf ears, the stopped-up ears that can't hear the message of the gospel. Since it is the Spirit of God that allows somebody to see their need for Christ, then we got to especially rely on the Spirit of God when we talk to sinners about their need for salvation. John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. It's the Spirit that makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. Again, we can talk to them blue in the face but it's the Spirit of God that draws them and shows them that they need Christ. It's the Spirit of God that takes them and moves them from death unto life. It's not us. We're just the, the instrument he chooses to use. But he has equipped us for proclaiming the gospel by giving us great peace that this world don't have, giving us great proof of his resurrection, and giving us a great purpose, his purpose, and giving us great power by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And finally, number five, the resurrected, risen Savior has given us a great proclamation. Verse 23. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, I've read that verse a lot of times. I never really thought about what it said. And I thought on it this Sunday. I mean, before this Sunday. Again, let me just reiterate real quickly that the gospel we proclaim is not so much about Jesus helping people with their personal problems, but it's about God forgiving their sin through his sacrifice on the cross. Old preacher G. Campbell Morgan, he wrote this. He said, the ultimate reason of the mission of the church in the world is to deal with sin. Romans 3.23 declares, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, Jesus didn't die to save us from personal failures or shortcomings, but he died to save us from the just wrath of God because of our rebellion and our sin. There's no example in the Bible of any of the apostles forgiving anybody's sins or retaining the sins of anybody. I'll give you an example. When Peter went down to Cornelius' house and proclaimed the gospel to him and those band of Italian soldiers, he didn't say, I forgive your sins in Jesus' name. Rather, he said in Acts 10.43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Paul never instructed Timothy or Titus to do it either, to say they'd forgiven sins. So what does it mean? Well, in the Bible, proclaiming something may be viewed as the same thing as doing. For example, God tells Jeremiah one, in, in Jeremiah 1.10, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and throw down and build and to plant. Well, Jeremiah didn't actually do those things, but what did he do? He proclaimed those things in the name of the Lord. Peter didn't actually forgive the people in Cornelius' house. Rather, he proclaimed forgiveness to them if they believe in Jesus. So the meaning and the application of this passage of Scripture, whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted, which means forgiven, and whosoever sins you retain, they're retained, which means it's not forgiven. We have, what authority do we have here? What does that mean? It means... We have the authority to proclaim when we, when we share the gospel with somebody, when we see somebody repent before God and, and, and receive Christ as their Savior, we have 
the authority to proclaim your sins have been forgiven because of him. We have that authority. When we see somebody truly repentant, we can say, Hallelujah, your sins have been forgiven. And if a person hardens their heart and they refuse to believe and they, they just soon go on in their sins, then we have the authority to solemnly proclaim that you're still in your sins and you will die in your sins. Plain and simple. God has given us a mission. He's given us a mission, and he's given us great peace to go about doing that mission. He's given us great fruit to establish that mission. He's given us a great purpose to go out and accomplish his mission. He's given us great power to bring it about, bring it to pass. And he's given us a great proclamation. It's not our work. We don't do the work. He does the work. But we're to be there to facilitate and get into the center. And when it's done its job, we can say, Hallelujah! Praise God! You're saved by the grace of God. And that's your mission. They said on the TV, if you accept it, you ain't got any choice. Amen? We're in, we're, we're in on the mission. So let's be good at it. Amen? I don't want to be lousy for Jesus. Do you? I don't think anybody in here wants to be a lousy servant of Jesus. We just got to admit we need help. That's part of our problem is we, we, we often won't admit how bad we need his help. But when we'll just lay it down there and say, God, here I am. I am here. I, am, I, want, I want to see people saved. I wonder this morning if I just ask you one by one, I'm not going to, but I would rather not. And I just start over here and I say, do you want to see people get saved? And I guarantee you would say yes. And I guarantee every one of you would say yes. Wouldn't, wouldn't it make you thrilled if God used you to share the message of his son with somebody? And then you saw them bow their head and, and, and repent before God and ask Jesus Christ to come into their life and save their soul and wash them clean of their sin. And they believe on the, on the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and you see the peace of God come over them. Wouldn't that thrill you? Well, then what are you waiting for? Because it can sure happen right in front of you. I've seen it happen time and time again. Right in front of me. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm not anything special. I had a pastor one time, a preacher one time, a friend of mine, he said, oh, man, you're so good at presenting the gospel. I ain't good at presenting the gospel. I just have a good gospel. It presents itself. All you got to do is open your mouth and tell what you know. Even as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Let's stand together. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.